0: SECTION 27 OF THE MORALS, VOLUME 2. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY LARRY WILSON. THE MORALS, VOLUME 2, BY PLUTARCH. TRANSLATED BY SEVERAL HANDS, CORRECTED AND REVISED BY WILLIAM W. GOODWIN that a philosopher ought chiefly to converse with great men footnote this epistolary discourse was wrote against an ill-bred sort of philosophers who neither would take the charge of education of great persons themselves nor would suffer others to do it though the author seems here only to vindicate his friend it is in truth an apology for himself who bred up an emperor and spent most part of his time to good purpose in the greatest court in the world this and several other of his moral discourses seems to be hastily dictated so that there is no great choice in his words or measure in his periods or strict method in the whole however the treasure of ancient learning and good sense which is to be found in him as it was frequently made use of by the most eloquent greek fathers so is it sufficient to recommend his works to all lovers of learning and good manners kc much of this version is a mere paraphrase g End of footnote 1 the resolution which you have taken to enter into the friendship and familiarity of sorcanus that by the infrequent opportunities of conversing with him you may cultivate and improve a soil which gives such early promise of a plentiful harvest, is an undertaking which will not only oblige his relations and friends, but redound very much to the advantage of the public. And notwithstanding the peevish censures of some morose or ignorant people, it is so far from being an argument of an aspiring and vainglorious temper that it shows you to be a lover of virtue and good manners, and a zealous promoter of a common interest of mankind. They themselves are rather to be accused of an indirect but more vehement sort of ambition, who would not upon any terms be found in the company, or so much as be seen to give a civil salute to a person of quality." For how unreasonable would it be to enforce a well-disposed young gentleman, and one who needs the direction of a wise governor, to such complaints as these? Would that I might change myself from a Pericles to a Cato, to a cobbler like Simon, or a grammarian like Dionysius, that I might, like them, have the conversation of such a man as Socrates, enjoy his company, and hear his instructive lessons of morality so far i am sure was Aristo of aristochius from being of their humour that when he was censured for exposing and prostituting the dignity of philosophy by his freedom to all comers he answered that he could wish that nature had given understanding to wild beasts that they too might be capable of being his hearers shall we then deny that privilege to men of interest and power which this good man would have communicated, if it had been possible, to brute beasts. But these men have taken a false notion of philosophy. They make it much like the art of statuary, whose business it is to carve out a lifeless image in the most exact figure and proportions, and then to raise it upon a pedestal where it is to continue forever." The true philosophy is of quite a different nature. It is a spring and principle of motion wherever it comes. It makes men active and industrious. It sets every will and faculty a-going. It stores our minds with axioms and rules by which to make a sound judgment. It determines the will to the choice of what is honorable and just. And it wings all our faculties to the swiftest prosecution of it. It is accompanied with an elevation and nobleness of mind, joined with a coolness and sweetness of behavior, and backed with a becoming assurance and inflexible resolution. And from this diffusiveness of the nature of good, it follows that the best and most accomplished men are inclined to converse with persons of the highest condition. Indeed, a physician, if he have any good nature and sense of honor, would be more ready to cure an eye which is to see and watch for a great many thousand than that of a private person how much more then ought a philosopher to form and fashion to rectify and cure the soul of such a one who is if i may so express it to inform the body politic who is to think and understand for so many others to be in so great measure the rule of reason the standard of law and model of behavior, by which all the rest will square and direct their actions. Suppose a man to have a talent at finding out springs, and contriving of aqueducts, a piece of skill for which Hercules and others of the ancients are much celebrated in history. Surely he could not so satisfactorily employ himself in sinking a well, or or deriving water to some private seat or contemptible cottage, as in supplying conduits to some fair and populous city, in relieving an army just perishing with thirst, or in refreshing and adorning with fountains and cool streams the beautiful gardens of some glorious monarch. There is a passage of Homer very pertinent to this purpose, in which he calls Minus Dios Megalu Waristein, which, as Plato interprets it, signifies the disciple and companion of Jupiter for it were beneath his dignity indeed to teach private men such as care for only a family or indulge their useless speculations but kings are scholars worthy the tuition of a god who when they are well advised just good and magnanimous never fail to procure the peace and prosperity of all their subjects the naturalists tell us that the eryngium hath such a property with it That if one of the flock of do but taste it, all the rest will stand stock still in the same place till the shepherd hath taken it out of its mouth. Such quickness of action does it have, pervading and spreading itself over everything that is near it, as if it were fire. The effects of philosophy, however, are different according to the differences or inclinations in men if indeed it lights on one who loves a dull and inactive sort of life it makes himself the centre and the little conveniences of life the circumference of all his thoughts such a one does not contract the sphere of her activity so that having only made easy and comfortable the life of a single person it fails and dies with him but when it finds a man of a ruling genius one fitted for conversation and able to grapple with the difficulties of public business, if it once possessed him with principles of honesty, honor, and religion, it takes a compendious method by doing good to one to oblige a great part of mankind. Such was the effect of the conversation of Anaxagoras with Pericles, of Plato with Dion, with Pythagoras, and with the principal statesmen of all Italy cato himself took a voyage when he had the concern of an expedition lying upon him to see and hear athendorus and scipio sent for Panatius when he was commissioned by the senate to take a survey alike of the outrages and the good order which were practised in their provinces as posidinius observes footnote odysseus seventeen four eighty seven in footnote now what a pretty sort of return would it have been, in Panathias to send word back, if indeed you were in a private capacity, John Anokes or John Astyles, that had a mind to get into some obscure corner or cell, to state cases and resolve syllogisms. I should very gladly have accepted your invitation. But now, because you are the son of Paulus Aemilius, who was twice consul and grandson of that Scipio who was surnamed from his conquest of hannibal and africa i cannot with honour hold any conversation with you two the objections which they bring from the two kinds of discourse one of which is mental the other expressed in words or interpretive of the former are so stale and pedantical that they are best answered by laughter or silence and we merely quote the old saying, I knew this before Theognis was born. However, thus much shall be said, that the end of them both is friendship, in the first case with ourselves, in the second case with another. For he hath attained to virtue by the methods of philosophy, hath his mind all in tune with good temper. He is not struck with those reproaches of conscience which cause the acutest sense of pain, and are the natural punishments of our follies. But he enjoys, the greatest prerogative of a good man, to be always easy and in amity with himself. No factious lusts reason's just power control, nor kindle civil discord in his soul. His passion does not stand in defiance to his reason, nor do his reasonings cross and thwart one the other. But he is always consistent with himself but the very joys of wicked men are tumultuary and confused like those who dwell in the borders of two great empires at variance always insecure and in perpetual alarms whilst a good man enjoys an uninterrupted peace and serenity of mind which excels the other not only in duration but in sense of pleasure too as for the other sort of discourse that which consists in expression of itself to others pindar says very well that it was not mercenary in old time nor indeed is it so now but by the baseness and ambition of a few it is made use of to serve their poor secular interests for if the poets represent venus herself as much offended with those who make a trade and traffic of the passion of love how much more reasonably may we suppose that urania and cleo and calliope have an indignation against those who set learning and philosophy to sale certainly the gifts and endowments of the muses ought to be privileged from such mean considerations indeed if some have made fame and reputation one of the ends of their studies they used it only as an instrument to get friends since we find by common observation that men praise only those whom they love. If they sought its own praise, they were as much mistaken as Ixion when he embraced a cloud instead of Juno. For there is nothing so fleeting, so changeable, and so inconstant as popular applause. It is but a pompous shadow, and hath no manner of solidity and duration in it but a wise man if he designed to engage in business in matters of state will so far aim at fame and popularity as that he may be better enabled to benefit others for it is a difficult and very unpleasant task to do good to those who are disaffected by our persons it is the good opinion men have of us which disposes men to give credit to our doctrine as light is a greater good to those who see others by it than to those who only are seen so is honour of a greater benefit to those who behold it than to those whose glory is beheld but even one who withdraws himself from the noise of the world who loves privacy and indulges his own thoughts will show that respect to the good word of the people which hippolytus did to venus though he abstained from her mysteries he will pay his devotions at a distance footnote euripides hippolytus 102 end of footnote but he will not be so cynical and sullen as not to hear with gladness the commendations of virtuous men like himself he will neither engage himself in a restless pursuit of wealth interest or honour nor will he on the other hand be so rustic and insensible as to refuse them in a moderate degree when they fairly come in his way in like manner he will not court and follow handsome and beautiful youth but will rather choose such as are of a teachable disposition of a gentle behaviour and lovers of learning the charms and graces of youth will not make a philosopher shy of their conversation when the endowments of their minds are answerable to the features of their bodies the case is the same when greatness of place and fortune concur with a well-disposed mind in the same person he will not therefore forbear loving and respecting such a one nor be afraid of the name of a courtier nor think it a curse that such attendance and dependence should be his fate they that strive most dame venus to eschew do fault as much as they who her pursue? Footnote: From the veil, Hippolytus of Euripides, fragment 431. End footnote. The application is easy to the matter at hand. A philosopher, therefore, if he is of a retired humour, will not shun such persons; while one who generously designs his studies for the public advantage will cheerfully embrace their advances of friendship will not force them after a troublesome manner to hear him, will lay aside his scholastical terms and distinctions, and will rejoice to discourse and pass his time with them when they are willing and disposed. I plow the spacious Bersinthian fields, full six days journey wide. Footnote from the Niobe of Aeschylus, fragment 153. End footnote. Says one boastingly in the poet, The same man, if he were as much a lover of mankind as of husbandry, would much rather bestow his pains on such a farm, the fruits of which would serve a greater number, than to be always dressing the olive-yard of some cynical malcontent, which, when all was done, would scarce yield oil enough to dress a salad, or to supply his lamp in the long winter evenings.' epicurus himself who places happiness in the profoundest quiet and sluggish inactivity as the only secure harbor from the storms of this troublesome world could not but confess that it is both more noble and delightful to do than to receive a kindness footnote almost the same words with those of our savior it is more blessed to give than to receive so that a man can scarcely be a true Epicurean without practicing some of the maxims of Christianity. For there is nothing which produces so humane and genuine a sort of pleasure as that of doing good. He who first gave the names to the three graces well understood this, for they all signify delectation and joy. Footnote. Aglea Euphrosimi and Thalia. End footnote and these surely are far greater and purer in him who does the good turn. This is so evidently true, that we all receive good turns blushing and with some confusion, and we are always gay and well pleased when we are conferring one. If then it is so pleasant to do good to a few, how are their hearts dilated with joy who are benefactors to whole cities, provinces, and kingdoms? and such benefactors are they who instil good principles into those upon whom so many millions do depend on the other hand those who debauch the minds of great men as sycophants false informers and flatterers worse than both manifestly do are the centre of all the curses of a nation as men who do not only infuse deadly poison into the cistern of a private house but into the public springs of which so many thousands are to drink the people therefore laughed at the hangers-on of callius whom as eupolis says neither fire nor brass nor steel could keep from supping with them but as for the favourites of those execrable tyrants Apollodorus, phalaris and dionysus they racked them they flayed them alive they roasted them at slow fires they looked on them as the very pests of society and disgraces of human nature for to debauch a simple person is indeed an ill thing but to corrupt a prince is an infinite mischief in like manner he who instructs an ordinary man makes him to pass his life decently and with comfort but he who instructs a prince by correcting his errors and clearing his understanding, is a philosopher for the public, by rectifying the very mold and model by which whole nations are formed and regulated. It is the custom of all nations to pay a peculiar honor and deference to their priests, and the reason of it is because they do not only pray for good things for themselves, their own families and friends, but for whole communities, For the whole state of mankind yet we are not so fond as to think that the priests cause the gods to be givers of good things or to inspire a vein of beneficence into them but they only make their supplications to a being which of itself is inclinable to answer their requests but in this a good tutor hath the privilege above the priests he effectually renders a prince more disposed to actions of justice moderation, and mercy, and therefore hath a greater satisfaction of mine when he reflects upon it. 4. For my own part, I cannot but think that an ordinary mechanic, for instance a maker of musical instruments, would be much more attentive and pleased at his work if he knew that his harp would be touched by the famous amphion, and in his hands serve for the builder of Thebes, or that athales had bespoke it who was so great a master that by the force of his music he pacified a popular tumult amongst the lacedaemonians a good-natured shipwright would ply his work more heartily if he were making the steerage for the admiral galley of Themistocles, when he fought for the liberty of greece or of pompeii when he went on his expedition against the pirates What ecstasy of delight, then, must a philosopher be in, when he reflects that his scholar is a man of authority, a prince or great potentate, that he is employed in so public a work, giving laws to him who is to give laws to a whole nation, who is to punish vice and reward the virtuous with riches and honor. The builder of the Argos certainly would have been mightily pleased if he had known what noble mariners were to row in his ship and that at last she should be translated into heaven. And a carpenter would not be half so much pleased to make a coach or a plow as to make the tablets on which Salon's laws were to be engraved. In like manner, the discourses and rules of philosophy, being once deeply stamped and imprinted on the minds of great personages, will stick so close that, the prince shall seem no other than justice incarnate and animated law this was the design of plato's voyage into sicily he hoped that the lectures of his philosophy would serve for laws to dionysius and bring his affairs again into good posture but the soul of that unfortunate prince was like paper scribbled all over with the characters of vice its piercing and corroding quality had stained quite through and sunk into the very substance of his soul. Whereas, if such persons are to profit by sage lessons, they must be taken when they are at full speed. End of section twenty seven.